Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. And I'm Lexi Bear. And for Jennifer again, Jennifer is on vacation somewhere in Florida. Oh, nice. Yeah, she'll be back next week. But uh, until then, my little cub reporter, Lexi, she's also paralegal. And she digs in on these stories that we're bringing to you. This is an unbelievable one. You came up with this one because it's just... Heart-wrenching. It is heart-wrenching. Little Sabrina, she's still missing. She has to be out there. That's just my opinion. Yeah, she has to be alive and out there. I mean, you have uh, Elizabeth Smart. This baby at five months old was taken from her home in Valrico, Florida. It's really near Tampa. What was this called, the story? It's a creepy Florida unsolved mystery. What happened to baby Sabrina? Yeah. Yeah. So the Eisenbergs are her mom and dad. This was on November 23rd, so right by Thanksgiving, 1997. Marlene wakes up in the morning, and she sees that the laundry door is open to the garage. And they always leave the garage door open because their kids come in and out with their bikes and stuff. So they had left the laundry door unlocked. It was open, and the garage door was open. Yeah, I remember watching video of them and they said they didn't know the garage was open so I guess their plan was they would always have the garage door closed at night but just leave the laundry door open so their other kids can go in and out with their bikes which my parents did too yes well they had a false sense of security in their neighborhood yeah they lived in a little cul-de-sac it's a four-bedroom house it's very nice middle-class neighborhood just outside of Tampa yeah so the night before on the 23rd uh The Eisenbergs put their kids to bed, eight-year-old William, four-year-old Monica, and five-month-old baby Sabrina. And the next morning, after getting William out of bed, Marlene said she noticed that that garage door and that the laundry room door were open. And she ran into Sabrina's room, and she found the baby missing, and her favorite yellow blankie was gone. I couldn't imagine. I mean, here is the 911 call. 911 So that tells me that the dog knew whoever it was. Yeah. Right? Definitely. But as all of this happens two years prior, remember Susan Smith? Mm. Who uh, drove her two kids into a lake and drowned them in the car? Yeah, she said it was a carjacking and she went on TV and begged the kidnapper, I say in quotations, to give her kids back. Yeah, and she alleged it was an African-American guy that took the car. It was all because she was having an affair with a guy who didn't want kids and, oh, whatever. Very sad. So, you know, of course they're going to look at the parents. And this is a little video that shows baby Sabrina kind of crawling around the floor. And here's her mom, Marlene. Sabrina, come crawl to mommy. Come here. Come here, gorgeous. So police are looking at this video of her. And they notice, like, there's a big swatch of hair missing from her head on the side and then they see bruises on her they say really and they think that the kid's been abused you saw the video remember that yeah on 2020 i mean but you know how you take a lock of your child's hair you do that sometimes and you save it maybe that's what they did i mean my daughter burned the back of her hair off in her in her crib she turned her head you know when she was lying on her back she had like a strip missing (laughs) her head no but this looked weird it was like on the side i don't know if they 
thought that they pulled her hair out or what? Maybe she pulled her own hair out. Could have been. Yes. So the parents, they, after the baby went missing, they both agreed to do a polygraph test because obviously they felt that they were innocent. Yeah, had nothing to hide. Steve passes it, flying colors. Marlene's is inconclusive. Twice. Problems. You know, statistics show that the parents do these things. So they agree to take the polygraph. They give their blood, their fingerprints. And then they were coached by the police on how to address the media. And Marlene was accused of being non-emotional. And she said she broke down right after she, she recorded this. Please bring our baby back to us. She needs her mother and her father. And we all miss her and love her very much. And we need her to come home to us, please. So, again, bad timing. Just two years before you had the Susan Smith thing. So, of course, it made national news. Very suspicious circumstances. It struck fear into families all over the country. Your child could be taken right from their bed. Really, it's scary. Mm -hmm. She's still missing to this day. She would be 21. And they've extrapolated her picture out, missing and exploited children's people. And she would be very pretty. Blue eyes, dark brown hair. I saw in 2020 her sister, Monica, she looks like exactly the same. Okay, so they think they look alike. So, you know, she could still be out there. And if you're listening to this podcast and there was a situation where you couldn't get a birth certificate or you're not sure of your parents or maybe your social security number or, you know, if, there's a, if you're not clear on your past, it would behoove you to take a DNA test. Yeah, it could be you. It could they be. never found a body. You, it's a right nobody and they searched everywhere no arrests no one was arrested in terms of the kidnapping the parents do get arrested and we'll explain what happens with that because with the polygraphs for Marlene it turned up the heat when she was inconclusive and the couple said they want to talk to an attorney and they hire Barry Cohen this guy is like the best and law enforcement was more interested he says in making the case against the parents rather than solving the case and how many times do we hear that but you know in terms of statistics it's usually the parents yeah and police got really suspicious when they hired the attorney they were like wouldn't you want to do anything to find your kid well that that's interesting because the john benet ramsey yeah. case they lawyered up immediately they went on with larry king before they talked to the police now you've got the arrest of this the, the photographer for john benet ramsey who shot those last photos of her in the sexually kind of explicit grown-up clothing, he was just arrested for child porn. I remember you telling me that he was arrested two years after John Bonet's murder. Well, he was a suspect, and then he was running down the street naked, yeah. screaming, I didn't kill John Bonet, he's a wacko. Anyway, yeah, but the parents were looked at on that one, too. So the couples stopped talking to police. They had the largest land and water search in Florida history up until that point. Exactly. It was a major dragnet. And the couple, you know, they said that they would talk if it was taped and their attorney was present. So they offered to talk. But they said, I want it taped and if my attorney's present. And the police said, no. Apparently they went on Good Morning America, Oprah in 2020. And then the authorities threatened to take their kids away to the Department of Children and Families because they saw the missing hair and the bruises on the baby. So they just lost their five-month-old baby, or two years later, and now they want to take away their two other children. Yeah. 
So they moved to Maryland. They got the hell out of Dodge. So when the police arrived and allegedly found the home in disarray, but no signs of a break-in other than the garage door left open, they were suspicious that the couple possessed very few photos of Sabrina and, you know, the youngest of their three children. They discovered the video that I played for you. Uh, that was filmed by Marlene, supposedly showed the bruises and the child missing a chunk of hair. Investigators hid recording devices in their home, in their marital bedroom, and in their bathroom in the kitchen, and attempted to prove a connection to the missing child through statements made by the Eisenbergs on tape. It was just unbelievable. Was this all based off of the polygraph? Yeah, because that's what threw him into a vortex of suspicion because she was inconclusive twice. I'm just going to say there's a reason they're not admissible in court. Right. You can beat a polygraph. By the way, this also happened. A neighbor was uh, got up to walk the dog because it woke him up in the middle of the night. His name was Pete McDonald. He has since died, but his wife remembers that he Pete let the dog out the back door. And as he's opening the door, he said he heard a baby crying. And he said, that's odd. I don't know anybody that has a baby. So that was on the day that she disappeared. He didn't think anything of it till a call came at work the next day and she says, baby Sabrina's missing. She tells him the Eisenberg's baby's missing in the middle of the night. And he says, wow, I heard a baby crying in the middle of the night. But nobody followed up with him. What the heck? After he called authorities about what he heard. That's according to his wife. So that's weird. So you had a massive search. Authorities never able to find her. And so what did they do? The authorities tried to pin the parents. So they put the microphones in the bedroom. This is just like they put the cameras in the Orchids of Asia Day Spa <laughs> for Bob Kraft. Wow. So they were they were never charged in connection with her disappearance, but in 1999 they did get charged in a federal indictment for making false statements to law enforcement and conspiracy to make false statements. Usually that's what they do. They'll get you on another crime. Yeah. Like they did with the clown thing. They arrested him, Michael Warren. Yeah, for selling parts and being a sketchball. Yeah, being a sketchball <laughs> for fraud and rolling back odometers and stuff. So this is the same idea, but they're saying that based on the recordings they got from the house that they actually made false statements. And the indictment, this indictment was scathing. The, they felt so screwed by this indictment. It was huge. It was in the media everywhere. What they were alleging that these two parents said was unbelievable. The prosecutors, again, had bugged their home for three months after her disappearance. And prosecutors alleged that they recorded conversations between the couple in which Steve Eisenberg talked about killing the baby while being high on cocaine. So here's the exact quotes. Prosecutors alleged in the indictment that Marlene was heard saying, the baby is dead and buried. It was found dead because you did it. That's what they alleged was on the tape that they heard. And then the damning quote attributed to Stephen was, this is written out in the indictment. So this was put in the newspaper. I wish I hadn't harmed her. It was the cocaine. That's what all of America read. Right. Their attorney thought, oh boy, this is not good. So finally, when they played the tapes, it, the defense attorney said it sounded like a chicken squawking in a hurricane. <laughs> I heard them ridiculous. Here it is. That's annoying. The Eisenbergs denied the charges and they said, look, we never, ever, ever said those things. The government witness, Anthony uh, Pelicano, testified that he was able to clean up the noise after playing and replaying the tapes. He could hear the incriminating statements by the Eisenbergs. But the defense witness, Bruce Koenig, said the tapes were of such poor quality that the enhancement didn't help. You couldn't hear them saying anything. 
So then they honed on Sabrina's condition, whether the videotape showed facial bruising and a bald spot where a patch of hair had been pulled from her head, indicating child abuse. That is a little weird. I will say that. She looked a little little scruffy. Finally, the charges were dropped. And then they sue them. Yeah. So the charges against them, the grieving parents uh, in subsequent trial ended with the charges dropped and a reward settlement of $2.9 million from the prosecutors to the Eisenbergs for court costs. I think $1.5 went to the defense attorneys. I just want to know which person took the lead by thinking this tapes or these tapes were the smoking gun. There's just no way you could figure out what was being said. It just, it just, it's just, ah. Who thought this was a good idea? No. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they always go big. Like with uh, Bob Kraft, you know, there was sex trafficking and it was, it was a have, misdemeanor they prostitution. Video re- they had video recording of him, though. But that was, it was the warrant was under the auspices of the felonious sex trafficking. They went after him with something, though. This tape is, yeah, they have nothing. Well, you can get anybody to say anything. You can get your witness, you know, your expert. Well, no, yeah, but those tapes, unless they drop the charges, then we'll see them. But they should never have been able to put those video cameras in there based on just a misdemeanor prostitution charge. But they allege that there was felony trafficking going on. Uh, so that's how they got the cameras in there. What? And then that was figured out to not be accurate. And then so his attorneys argued, well, these the tapes have to go. Wasn't there a customer that wanted to sue them for getting a massage? And then yeah, she was having a legal, yeah, legal massage. That's what happened. There's a bunch of them. A class action lawsuit, which I think Kraft's attorneys, you know, oh probably goodness. orchestrated because that's what led to this whole thing being kind of actually they're they're appealing the decision that the tapes are thrown out. So this has kind of just gone away. But anyway, back to the Eisenbergs. They both work as real estate agents now today in Maryland. They relocated in 1999, two years later, and they have kept a bedroom for her, for Sabrina the whole time. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. They have one of her little chairs, her piggy bank from when she was a little girl. Some of the things that they had for her when she was first born. And they have older stuff for her too now, right? Yes, right. It would it would be age appropriate for her now. So now their son William is 28 and their daughter Monica is 24 and Sabrina would have been would be 21. They just keep wondering where baby Sabrina is. Which you can't stop wondering. If you have a child taken from your home? I mean, I've looked up statistics and usually like stealing a baby, it's usually a woman who couldn't have a kid or lost a baby and wants their own. So, I mean, not that this is a best case scenario, but best case scenario would be it was someone yearning for a child and raised that child and that she's out there. You have to hope that because really they never found a body, nothing. And the dog, Brownie, never barked. That's weird. So, and how would you know, okay, the garage door's open and the the side door into the laundry rooms open. I guess the baby's room was right there off onto the right. But you have to kind of know the layout of the house. Yeah. And then the neighbor said he heard the baby crying in the middle of the night. So again, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, Colin McNally created an age progression image of Sabrina based on the photos of herself and her two older siblings, as you said. And uh, it's amazing. She's got blue eyes. So if you have blue eyes and kind of long brown chestnut colored hair, Shoulder length. I mean, it could be any length, you know, whatever. But if you don't know your real origin or you feel like you're like Marilyn from the Munsters and you don't fit into your family, <laughs> it could be you. Or if you have a friend. 
Yeah, or you know, it could somebody. be your friend. But the Eisenbergs still get leads directly passed on to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And they say they're confident that their daughter's still alive. And they hope Sabrina, again, who would be 21, will be found with a DNA test that'll confirm her identity. And now with these Ancestry.com websites and all that, it's possible. There's another case, though, that ended happily, right? That happened in Florida? Semi-happily. Kamaya Mobley, she was taken from a Florida hospital eight months after Sabrina's disappearance. From a hospital? From a Florida hospital. And in 2018, I think it's in South Carolina, North Carolina, one of the Carolinas, they found her. And the woman who took her got arrested. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, but... And she only knew her as her mom. And yeah, she didn't that's, that's do like well with the... Partially happily because Kamaya went on live TV and was saying, that's my mom. The woman in jail is my mom and expressing no interest to meet her family. Her I, real mom. Yeah. That's devastating. That is devastating. But who knows? Maybe maybe she met her now. Yeah. Hopefully. Blood, you know, blood thicker than water. Who knows? But yes, boy, that is tough. But it gives you hope for Sabrina. Yeah. Yeah. Also on the 2020 episode, it showed Marlene communicating through Facebook with two women that believed to be Sabrina. They even shared pictures of themselves with Marlene, but she didn't disclose them for their privacy. They thought they were Sabrina and they sent her pictures? Yeah, and they even did a DNA test. And Uh. on the episode, which aired in like 2018, they said it was gonna take a grueling six months. I think that time has passed and I haven't heard anything, so. So we'll let you know, we'll keep this case open for you, baby Sabrina. If you go to Instagram, you can see the full Rager podcast account, and there's pictures of her as a five-month-old and what she would look like. Now you got to see it. And maybe you'll know her. Maybe you can pick her out. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. Right. And for an extra little full Rigger tidbit, I'm sharing with you another chilling account of a crime committed in Florida. This time, it was an act of road rage on I-95 a couple of years ago. A driver was shot in the head twice and lived to talk about it. The shooter has never been found. Pastor Stephen Simon, you might remember this pastor. He was actually shot in the head twice during a road rage incident on 95 on the Treasure Coast in 2014, airlifted in critical condition. He is with us here today now. Perfectly fine. Thank you for joining us. Oh, awesome. I'm so glad to be here. A little history on road rage. Actually, KTLA uh, coined the term road rage after a series of shootings on one of their highways there. And you might remember uh, Jack Nicholson hitting another car, Mercedes, and breaking the windshield with a two iron. It was road rage, but it was a misdemeanor at that time. Road rage is actually not just aggressive driving. It's a criminal offense. And aggressive driving is a, a, a little bit different. But what you experienced, Stephen Simon is pure evil road rage. Can you please tell us, take us back to that day when you're traveling on 95 northbound and what happened with this driver, who, by the way, has never been found? Well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on uh, today. Um, I definitely want to remember uh, July 31st, 2014 was a very crazy day for me because um, uh, leaving my office that morning, there was a truck, a semi truck that backed in, uh, back was backing out and actually hit me that day. Oh. And uh, when that happened, that day on the car, on that same day. So um, I, um, I wrote on Facebook that day. I remember my, my, my last post was no weapon formed 
formed against me shall prosper. And I just wrote that um, out of no, you know, I I didn't know what was going on. I just wrote it, you know. And um, well, thank God I wrote that that day because um, uh, later on driving on 995 towards uh, Stewart area uh, as we were driving about maybe about six o'clock, seven o'clock. And um, uh, and then what happened is, is the lights started dimming around the time. Um, I remember uh, this this driver, uh, you know, pulling up behind us with, a, you know, doing about 90 miles per hour around that time. And as he was driving, I remember uh, looking at him. He looked like he was slouched over driving, you know, like an, uh, an older gentleman. Hunched over, you know, right. Hunched over, right. Then all of a sudden, uh, you know, he cuts me off real, I mean, really bad. And I, I flash my lights because I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, hey, there's no one on the road. Huh. So there was no reason for him to cut me off that way. You know. So it was, you know, so it's kind of strange. And, then and you're all, by Hope Sound? Yeah, by Hope Sound. So it's kind of very strange because what happens is he was on the passenger side. Then he slows down while I'm doing about 80 miles an hour trying to get away from this right, guy. Right, right. Then all of a sudden he shoots. But I thought it was my tires busting. You know, I didn't I didn't I didn't know what happened. I just heard pop, pop. That's what I heard. Mm-hmm. And um, after that. Um, I lost consciousness and um, and I woke up from the impact of the crash. You were driving and you crashed. You were shot twice in the head. Right. I was shot twice in the head. So you had a passenger and she called 911. She called 911. And she gave a description of this driver? Yes, she did. So what was the driver's description and the vehicle? Well, uh, it was a gold. I don't remember the exact vehicle, but it was kind of like a goldish, uh, you know, like a crown vehicle type, you know, one of the older vehicles. And um, I didn't know um, she called 911 and she um, just told them, you know, blatantly that I was shot twice in the head. And um, I remember uh, the description was an older uh, white gentleman uh, who was, um, you know, it, it was it was really sad because we couldn't really make out whether he was young or old because it kind of looked like when he was driving the, it, the, uh, in the beginning, he was slouched over. And then all of a sudden he became this tall giant, you know, and then just, you know, oh, man. it was very strange. Yeah. So uh, you were airlifted and you were in critical condition. Were you in a coma? Yeah, I was in a coma. Yeah, well, it was medically induced. They, they shut me up because I couldn't stop talking. And, and that's crazy, you know, being shot twice in the head. And the officer was like, shut him up. Why is he still talking? You know, it's amazing. Yeah. And you're a pastor of Activation Church in West Palm Beach. And we're so thankful that you can share your story today. So just remember, if you're driving in Florida, the guy next to you may be armed. Thank you, Lexi. Thanks for having me. That is the latest Full Rigor episode. We'll be back again next week. This episode is sponsored in part by U.S. Bank. What if I told you there's a credit card that's made for every kind of foodie? That's why I'm excited to share the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa signature card with you today. Cardholders get four times the points on restaurant deliveries, takeout orders, and dine-in meals. Yeah, you can rack up points when you eat out or you order in. Plus, the card gets you two times points on groceries, even delivery, streaming services, and gas or EV charging station pit stops. And if you apply today at usbank.com slash altitude go, you'll earn 20,000 bonus points after spending $1,000 within the first 90 days. You deserve a credit card that gives you more and more and more. Apply to become an Altitude Go cardholder at usbank.com slash altitude go. The creditor and issue of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors, We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.
Peloton, motivation that moves you.